Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode six. And no, we're actually not talking Husky football today. This is a Sounders and Seahawks episode, folks. And I teased at the end of last episode that we are going to have a special guest today. So joining Sam and I today is our good friend and buddy, Justin Geiger. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, Justin. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm, you know, I'm usually talking about sports that are across the pond. So something that's local, I'm just jazzed to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on and happy to have you. Uh, Justin, for those of you guys that don't know, went to UW with Sam and I and uh, was a part of the initial team that was the Emerald City Fandom Sports Blog. And Justin wrote some Sounders pieces for us back in the day. He's a huge huge uh, soccer data analytics nerd. So we're happy to have him on uh, and he'll talk some sounders for us in, in this first part of the podcast. Um, Justin also has a, another podcast um, with his, what's, what's your, your co-host? Kyle. Kyle. So Kyle and Justin have an EPL podcast, English Premier League podcast over the top. So please check them out whenever you get a chance. Uh, Justin, so before we talk some sounders, Sam and I like to you know, share with the listeners what we're currently sipping on. So what is your drink of choice tonight, sir? So tonight we have, we have a local brewery here in Redmond, Washington, near where I live called Matt or Mac and Jack's. Yes. And they, they produce an African amber ale. So I'm drinking, sipping on that tonight. Awesome. Great choice. Supporting local. Sam, what about you, sir? Welcome into well, the pod. Thank you. Due to us having a special guest, I'm drinking some special whiskey that's been in my cabinet for a while. Justin's been a good buddy of mine for a long time. Had him over to the new house recently, and he brought me a super... He spoiled me with this housewarming gift. I got some bullet bourbon aged 10 years. It's the good stuff. Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. Frontier whiskey, as they like to call it. So, yeah, I'm up in my game a little fancy tonight so special occasion ain't no jack daniels though no i mean jack has a special place in my heart for sure all of our listeners already know that and it's only been what five episodes but yeah special occasion calls for some special whiskey so maybe i'll finish it off by the end since i don't really have much to contribute on the sounders front i'll be sitting here sipping away and Shit might get interesting by the time we start talking about the Hawks. Connor, Connor, what are you sipping on? Yeah, I hope it gets interesting by the time we talk about the Hawks because we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, so I am sipping on some red wine right now. I don't even remember what it's called because uh, I was not the one that bought it and I just poured out the rest of it in my glass and I'm finishing the bottle. So Katie's going to be mad about that. No, she didn't really like it that much. And it's it's okay, red wine. That's one of the re- reasons why I'm not saying the name because I'm not honestly a huge fan of it. But it's fine. 
And then I, uh, you know, have this little tradition in the last couple episodes of having a rolling rock as my second drink of choice. So I have that to back up my, my red wine tonight. Did you just buy like a 36 pack of rolling rock or what's the deal? 30 rack. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's the best deal out there. It's like 15 bucks for 30 beers or something like that. It's crazy. I got to switch you over to Montucky, man. Oh, I've had Montuckies before, but I don't know. This was on sale. And I've, I thought that we were going to have a Husky game this last weekend. So I got a bunch of them in anticipation of that. Oh, jeez. I still have a really rock since college. That's... Really? Oh. No. Yeah. My my neighbor and one of our listeners, so shout out Brandon Wong, is a big Wisconsin fan. And I get I go over to his place sometimes and uh on Saturdays for the nine AM Wisconsin game and we crack some rolling rocks. So all right. Let's talk some sounders. Are you ready, Justin? Ready. Cool. I'm ready so, too. Are, are you ready, Sam? <laughs> Sam, I expect you to be an active participant in this yeah, discussion. Yeah, Sam, I you're I will be. you're a part of this podcast, so you are talking sounders, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll talk. I'll chat. All right. So, Sounders, uh MLS had a weird year this year. Obviously, their season was uh heavily impacted by the events of COVID. It started kind of right as their season was going or getting going. I remember, I think it was the first or second home match. There was some controversy. I don't know if you remember that, Justin, at all, but uh, about hosting that game and allowing fans into that game. And if yeah. that game would even happen, I can't remember. I, I just remember that. I don't even remember who it was against, but I do remember there was some controversy behind that, and it all got shut down right after that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, that's when things were starting over here. We had the Life Care Center in Kirkland, mm-hmm. you know, where cases were first discovered. Yep. Um, yeah, and that was, like, viewed as, that was one of the lowest attendances ever at a Seattle Sounders game, but I believe about 33,000. And so that's how, you know, probably pretty, a good thing that it was. Yeah, yeah, probably a good thing that it was um, in hindsight now, obviously. So, yeah, so uh, I think they were able to fit in like two or three matches before everything got shut down. They need a massive break. And then they were actually the first American sport to return uh, in the MLS's back tournament, uh, which the Sounders took part in and probably underperformed. I don't know how you would judge their performance justin it again i think it was after such a huge break it was just going to be kind of who clicked the fastest and who who played who was who was the hottest team at that at that point um and then there was another break and then finally they continued the season and here we are now with the last game of the season ending yesterday and the Sounders won against San Jose four to one. So a resounding victory, uh, able to score four goals. And that was their first time scoring more than one, I think in a few matches, at least. Um, typically we're used to this Brian Schmetzer team coming into the playoffs pretty hot, but I can't say that I feel super confident in this team's form right now. I don't know about you, Justin. Absolutely, Connor. I think that's a really good point. I mean, two wins in the last seven matches, as you said, only two goals or over one goal one time in the last seven matches. 
not including San Jose game. And that was the two nil win over Vancouver. And so it's, you know, it's kind of different than what we're used to seeing with the Seattle Sounders where historically, and especially under Siggy Schmidt as well as we had those terrible starts to seasons where yeah. we'd be down in the dumps and then we'd right. have this surge in the second half. You saw that in the 2016 season when we won the cup. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen that in other seasons, I believe 2017 as well. And so yeah, it's concerning. It's a weird year too, Connor. I mean, you have all this bad form, you could call it, but the Sounders, surprisingly, if you look at the rest of the the table and the rest of the teams in the league, don't even look that bad. It's just, it's weird, man. It's a bizarre year. Yeah, for sure. I've seen a lot of, I mean, and we'll get into this whenever we talk about our next opponent in the playoffs, but I mean, LF, LAFC is one of those teams that obviously one of the had the best season ever by an MLS team in terms of points last year and returned a lot of that same talent this year. And, you know, they were probably the most inconsistent team in the West, I would say, Um, just as far as, you know, they had, they would have a few matches in a row where they'd look like the firepower that they were last year. And Bob Bradley obviously coaches an aggressive aggressive game plan and they score a lot of goals that's kind of what they're known for and then they'd have runs where they couldn't score and they'd be given up four or five goals um so before we get more into lafc though i do want to talk about who you who you think was this year's player of the year it's a tough question i mean you have so many players on the sounders that are so valuable um, you have Le- Le- Nicholas Ladero, obviously, that's super important to that team that yeah, links kind of play, glue. is the glue that links the back line and the front line together. Without him, we you know, clearly would not be the same team. Same thing with Raul Rui Diaz. I don't care what you say about Will Bruin, but it's not a like-for-like replacement for Raul <laughs> Rui Diaz. And even with the lack of games that he's played, I think he's only played 17 this season, which the we played 22 games in total. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been the leading goal scorer. And so you, that, that tells you how important he is. And so that's, you know, that's a toss up, but I'm going to go with Jordan Morris, Connor. I think that yeah. he's been really important. He's been consistent. He's been there every game this season. So availability is one of the most important things in soccer and his football as well, but especially sure. in soccer with how many games and the Disney tournament and all the nonsense that we've had to go through with this season. (laughs) And so, you know, with it, you know, 10 goals, high expected goals, which I'll get to what that is in a second, but that's basically just creating chances Um, and assists as well. Having seven assists, I think it's been a really solid year for him and being able to contribute on the left-hand side and get better at crossing and creating chances and being dangerous has been really important for this team. And so I'm going to go with Jordan Myers. What about you? Yeah, that's a really good call. I would probably lean the same direction. Um, I just feel like he's really finally really kind of coming into his own and living up to the player that we thought he could be and coming back from injury, you know, last year and then and then uh, following it up with his strong performance this year. I'm I'd probably side with you that Jordan Morris is the player of the year, but just to be a little bit different, I I'm I am going to go with Nico Ladero just because he's kind of the mainstay of of this team. Like we like you were saying earlier, he's just the glue as far as how this and kind of as as Nico goes, this team goes. He's he's scored some really crucial goals for us this year. I feel like in some key moments. Um, and if he's not 
impacting from a goal scoring sheet. He's either impacting from for assists or setup balls as far as just like leading an attack. So he's he's truly the leader and captain on this team. And if they're going to make any noise in the playoffs, I think it's going to revolve around Nico playing well. One quick thing I want to get to. So Nico, is he on an expiring contract this year or next year? I heard inklings that he may be on his way out. I thought it was next year, but okay. don't quote me on that. Okay. So do you think that they're going to try to get a an extension done with him? I mean, he's been such a reliable part of that midfield for so long now that I can't even really picture a midfield without Nico Ladero now. He is aging. He's 31, I think, now. So he's getting up there. But, I mean, soccer players, especially ones that are fit, and Nico keeps himself fit, and he's one of those guys that plays 90 minutes basically week in and week out. Brian Schmetzer's not very good at rotation, but that's another topic. Um, yeah, I can't really predict, like someone else in that spot other than Nico. So I'm just interested in on your, on your thoughts to if you think he would sign like maybe a two or three year extension with the team. It's a really good question. I don't think we'd get that many years from him to be honest with you. I think it's yeah. probably a one year extension if anything. Okay. And the reason I think that is he's always indicated he wants to go back to Argentina to finish mm-hmm. out his career. Mm-hmm. And as he's approaching, um, you know, his mid thirties, I think it's time, you know, Argentinian Argentinian league is really good. It's better than the MLS. And so you have to be decent to play in the league and especially play on a team that he probably wants to play on, which is Boca Juniors. And so it's tough for me to see that. I mean, Seattle, he's loved Seattle. He's loved his time here, but it's just a different lifestyle here than what he's used to in South America as well. And so, you know, me, you know, with all my sources, I would have to say that, my inkling is that he would go back to South America sooner rather than later. Okay. And that has nothing to do with his like distaste in the team or what we have here at Seattle. It's more of him wanting to go closer to home. Right. One thing we do know is that, I mean, Nico has really enjoyed his time in Seattle and, you know, his kids have been raised here now for a few years and um, he likes the lifestyle up here, but I think you're probably, I've, I've heard the same inklings just in the past as far as, um, what he what he wants to go out on as far as his his career, and it does sound like at some point he did want to go back down to South America. So I could see that happening. All you guys, right. Do you guys want to know who my player of the year is? Yeah, yes, Sam. Sam who's your player of the year? All right. If easy, the local kid from UW, Christian Roldan. Hear is me out. Him? Hear me okay. out. No, go for it. We Good talk player. about availability and minutes in a game. Yeah. Christian has led the team in minutes on the field. He's started more games than anyone on the team. He's got two goals, five assists. And hear me out. Because, and I don't know this as a fact, but Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, will likely be playing a significant amount of road games in the playoffs, right? Uh, we wouldn't play a road game until the Western Conference Final. Okay, yep. so most important game for a of the two year. seed. Like I said before, Christian rolled on two goals, both of them on the road. So what I'm saying is, when push to, when push comes to shove, he's going to be on the field. He's going to score 
an extremely important goal on the road. It could be the difference maker. So I'm going with my dog, Christian Roldan, player of the year. Boom, Jack. I don't hate the pick. I mean, he's had... I feel like he had a better season last year than this year. But you're right, though, Sam. I mean, he has been a reliable player as far as availability, and he's been there week in and week out, kind of like Nico Ladero. Those are kind of the two guys that you know are basically starting every game. And, uh, yeah, local – I mean, local UW products, so you got to root for that uh, as as we are Huskies, all of us. So A little bit biased, but he's still a stud. Did you? I mean, come on. We saw his, his – uh... But he had an assist on that goal where he just bodied two or three opposing yeah. players. One thing about Christian Roldan you have to compliment is his work ethic. I mean, that Absolutely. guy just motors on, and I don't know. I mean, he's not a huge guy, but he gets in there. He's not afraid of a challenge, as you were just saying, Sam. So, yeah, I, you know, it's not it, – it's an interesting pick, but I don't think it's the, the worst pick you could make. So Yeah, he, he does mention- a lot of the – he does a lot of the dirty work, and you want to if you want to list as far as Brian Schmetzer's favorite players on the team, pretty sure Christian Roldan would top the list. Yeah, talks Justin, about him you... almost every game in his press conferences after the game. Absolutely, Christian Roldan like was you know everywhere tonight, and uh, like he he likes to say he's a tough kid. Mm-hmm. He is tough, but Justin, you do mention his smaller stature and. If he was, you know, one, two inches taller, maybe we would have had a shutout this past weekend. <laughs> on their one goal scored, he was defending the near post and tried to jump and get his head on it, and it went right over his head <laughs> into the net. Yeah, he probably doesn't have the best vertical on the team, no. too. Um, <laughs> He's but, got you a know, few heading tried. goals, though. He does. He does. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, how much, you know, Sam, but his brother plays on the team as well. He gets Alex. some minutes, Alex. Yeah. yeah. And so that's also an interesting storyline. He's, he's been playing well and better. Maybe. I mean, he talk about goal line clearances. I don't know if you saw the one against the galaxy, Connor. Yeah. That was really that was good. Nice. That yeah. was a nice clearance. And so, you know, he's played a little more right back and a little bit more midfielder, Alex, but I mean, he could be a better player in the future too. We'll see how that goes, but yeah. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see how these roll down brothers are able to develop together. And obviously Christian isn't on the super young side anymore. He's not old, but he's kind of entering kind of that prime stage of his career. And this is kind of where we expect the best years out of him. And Alex is a couple years behind him, I think. So we'll see how he develops over the next couple of years as he approaches his prime. But uh, let's get off of kind of individual players and talk about the team a little bit as far as how well they performed. Uh, They were kind of flirting with sporting uh, KC and Portland kind of for that number one seed going into the playoffs and, you know, kind of stumbled towards the end. They were in a really good position to get that number one seed, I'd say with about three or four matches to go because of their lackluster performances, though, they do find themselves in a number two seed. And their opponent in the first round is going to be a rematch of last year's Western Conference playoff fi- playoff final, Western Conference final, um, LAFC. And I want to get kind of your feeling for this LAFC team. I kind of 
hinted at earlier that they were one of them. Definitely, I mean, they're a seventh seed, so they I would say they definitely underperformed this year, but more than anything, they were just so inconsistent. And you'd see flashes of kind of like their potential that they showed last year uh, being the best regular season team ever to come out of MLS. But I know that Carlos Vela was unavailable for certain parts of, of this year. So I don't know if that had to do with some of their consistency issues, but I kind of want to get your, your thoughts on this team as we're, as we approach our, our playoff date with them on the 24th of November. Yeah. Inconsistent is right. I mean, when you have Carlos Vela, LAFC played 22 games this season, Carlos Vela featured in seven of them. And he was the MVP regarded as by far the best player of the season last year. And so when you lose a best player for 15 games, that is very significant. And so definitely missed him. He is healthy now. And so that's going to be an interesting dynamic. Uh, but yeah, like you said, they're very inconsistent and their big problem has not been goal scoring, but it's been their defense. Yeah. They've been leaking in goals and, you know, they like to control the ball. They like to press, they like to be on their opponent, but they've leaked in goals to teams that play in a Seattle-ish format where Seattle doesn't mind counterattacking with Rui Diaz or Roldan and Ladero leading it going up to Morris on the left-hand side as well. And so mm -hmm. they've been very vulnerable and we'll see how they perform in the playoffs. I mean, we've have a short history with LAFC, but it's significant going back to that Western conference final that you've mentioned to the Disney cup where they shellacked us four to yeah, one right. uh, in the round of 16 there. And that was viewed as like two heavyweights in the round of 16 mm -hmm. in that tournament. Here we are. LAFC is the seventh seed, but I don't know anyone that thinks they're only the seventh best team in the conference. I think you'd yeah. be hard pressed to find that sentiment. And so it, it's a tough matchup, no doubt. Yeah, for you would almost prefer to be in kind of that three or four seed based on kind of how these seedings. Yeah, you know, as far as just first round matchups go, I mean, I, there's obviously the home field factor, and then kind of who your later opponents would be as as the playoffs go. If you're if you advance to the next round, but yeah, I mean, LAFC is a pretty tough draw right out of the gate, um, and yeah, I I want to talk about kind of how they match up against us. And I also want to talk about specifically what players are going to be out of this matchup because of international play. For those of you guys that don't know listeners, there's international friendlies that are happening. I think this next week and mm -hmm. the week after, right? Yes. And so the season just ended and then the playoffs start on the 24th. So in a couple weeks here and uh, with these internet, with, with COVID and with these international breaks, there's quarantine rules associated with those breaks. And um, we were a victim of it with Raul Rui Diaz earlier in the year, as well as, I mean, Gustav Svensson and Xavier or Javier Javier Arriaga. Arriaga. Yeah. And um, was there anyone else that played internationally for us this year? This is the main players. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, all three of those guys are going to be uh, on international break, but because Raul Rui Diaz contracted COVID, in the last international break, 
he does not need to quarantine upon his arrival back to the U.S. So LAFC is actually at a disadvantage here because Rui Diaz got COVID earlier in the season. And they're going to be without some key players. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, Justin. Yeah, I mean, talk about how ironic is like how somebody getting COVID actually is beneficial, but beside right. the point. Uh, yeah, LAFC without a few players here. They're out. Diego Rossi, one of their most prolific strikers on the team, probably their second best player outside of Carlos Vela. That is a huge, huge loss for them. Yeah. Um, Golden boot runner, winner, right? Yes, golden boot winner. How did I not mention that? And so they've had the last two golden you. boot winners. And so that just goes speaks to their goal scoring, right? They're even in an off year, they've been awesome at scoring goals, but their defense has been a huge problem. But if they're losing prolific goal scoring, then you know, right. problem, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, they're losing Rodriguez, which is another up and coming player for Uruguay. Uh, it's a huge loss for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Cifuentes is lost and Palacios and so obviously the first two names are the most significant you know particularly the golden boot runner and Diego Rossi and so if LAFC were at full strength I might pick the Sounders to lose this game to be yeah. honest with you yeah. uh, especially considering the Sounders form and no really home field advantage this year as you've right. seen with football as well so that's massive. And as you said, Gustav Svensson and Ariaga are going to be out because of COVID quarantine rules. They can't just come back from their respective countries and hop right back in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, while those are losses, the Sounders can plug those in a little bit easier because Svensson's been out for a little bit anyways, and he was right. just getting back to full fitness. And then Ariaga, I mean, you hate to say it, but he's been much he's trash. He's been much maligned this whole season. He's trash. And so you have probably a Yamar that can play or an O'Neill that can come in and play center back as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Do you probably, think Roman Torres probably factors in there? Roman Torres is a sub. I think he's yep. uh, doesn't quite have the young stamina as he once did. I think you know, when, you, when you lose the fro, you lose the stamina. <laughs> uh, and so you hate to say it, but probably not the most important players relative to what LAFC is losing in a golden right. boot winner, right? For sure. Yeah, so kind of you were hinting at it there. I do want to hear your predictions kind of for not only this first matchup, but how you think the Sounders are going to perform in the playoffs. And Sam, I want to hear your prediction after Justin as well. So <laughs> well, I'll integrate you back into this conversation here. Before I give any predictions, I will have to preface this conversation with a question to Justin no because... No, 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 I will. I will because I honestly don't even understand how these playoffs work. Is it a one and done game or is it a series? Is, you know, how does that work? I know the little soccer that I do watch, things get kind of screwy with goals in aggregate or, or like home goals versus away goals. Can you explain to the non rules of change hardcore soccer players like how, how do these playoffs? How are they set up and and like how important is this game against LA on November 21st? Yeah, so they play the 24th on Tuesday night at 7:30, but oh, that was see, just... I don't even know what time the game is. Yeah, so 7:30 p.m. at the clink, <laughs> November 24th, but that's a great question as they just changed. Last year was the first year they did it this way, but it's more of that March Madness format, which is just one and done. So if you lose this game, you're out. And so there's no as you know, the traditional American hates ties, right? There's no ties 
nonsense in these games, right? It'll go I love extra it. time. I love it. <laughs> so if LA and Seattle are tied after 90 minutes, then it will go into a 30 minute overtime. And if no one scores or if it's tied after that, then it goes into penalty kicks, which, you know, US fans should know what that is now. And so it's really important to answer your question. It's a massively important game. There is no other game if you lose this game. Where in the past is if, you know, if this first game was in Seattle and say Seattle loses two to one, then LAFC would have away goals and that counts more than home goals. And then we'd have to get into that conversation of what that means and that whole nonsense, which we don't have to do anymore. And so I don't have to go further than that. <laughs> so one and done. Gotcha. That's exciting. I might actually tune in. You should, Sam. Because we're probably right. going to talk some more Sounders in the coming weeks. You know, playoff soccer is pretty entertaining. I mean, unless Absolutely. you have some crappy teams and it's nil-nil uh, the whole time. But yeah, nil-nil. I said it. Uh, but well, yeah, there's so a lot of there's a lot of parody in the MLS too. So there's always some fireworks in the in the playoffs. So. so as a Seattle sports fan, Justin, what's your like elevator pitch as to why we should tune in and watch the Sounders? I mean, what the hell are you doing right now, Sam, that you won't be able to tune in at 7.30 p.m. on a Tuesday and watch this game? Kind of true. It's well, I might be talking about podcasts after the Huskies just dismantled their opponent, but... <laughs> we can have it on that's the, I mean, that's I all got, I have to I got, say. I got three screens in front of me. I can be watching it while we're podcasting. So yeah, I mean, Sam, go. you have a TV. I mean, all you, all, all you do, I mean, you eat, right? You drink Montucky. You yep. watch Husky football or think about or read Reddits of Husky football. You play no, Call no, no. of Duty. Okay, hold on. I'm going to stop you there. Reddit <laughs> is a trash place for information. Go to dogman.com, pay your $10 subscription, and get it going. If you use the code Sam Hoganson, you'll get $5 off every month. Um, but no, besides the I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, please, please don't do that. <laughs> it won't work, so. To get back to the question of prediction, I think this is going to be a really close game, even though LAFC are losing a bunch of players. Bob Bradley's a really good coach, even though, you know, he's had some history with Seattle in the past and Brian Schmetzer, they have a little bit of a love hate hate relationship. And so, yes, damn it. I forgot it. I told you beforehand, if I was really on my A game, are we going to be feeling better than Bob? Connor, we're going to be feeling better than Bob. We're going to yes. win this in regulation. Okay. Three to two. Ooh. No extra time. Love it. No extra time. And there's some goals in that. So that should be exciting. Sam, what's your prediction? Well, I think we're going to win one to zero by a prolific bicycle kick in the box by Christian Roldan. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you Sam. $20 if Christian Roldan scores no, the bicycle listen, kick. You can keep your money just. Give me a bottle of Jack and we'll call it good. I, w- I will buy you we will each buy a, bottle, a bottle of Gentleman's Jack if, if that happens. By the end of this year, my, cabard, my, my cupboards are going to be stocked. I love it. Dylan Morris isn't starting, dude. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, back to Saunders. So, Connor, what's your prediction? Uh, man, it's a good question. I think it goes to extra time. Okay. I think it's I think it's two to two mm. into extra time. And I think we each score a goal in extra time. And then in the one hundred and twenty second minute, Yamar off of a corner heads in the winner for us to advanced 
to the next round of the playoffs. So it'd be four to three is my is my final final score with the game winner by Yamar, the center back. Playoff games traditionally are lower scoring, especially from like teams are starting to feel the feel the other team out, especially in the first half. Are you half. shitting on my prediction right now? No, I'm shitting on both of our predictions. Okay. So yeah. Sam might Guess be the closest one. The, best? the closest one to right. I mean, we'll the Christian see. roll down bicycle kick is utter nonsense, but no, other than that, it could Justin. be. Yeah. I think I think both teams have had pretty leaky defenses at times this year sounders more so lately mm-hmm. um and then lafc has just kind of been throughout the year they've been pretty leaky so and i mean you obviously have some proven goal scorers on each each team i think i think vela is going to give us fits i think he's he's probably scoring a brace he's probably two out of those four goals that i would predict i mean you say the seattle defense has been leaky at times connor but they actually have the best defense in the conference and so that's just you tells you the why. level go ahead because we have the best damn goalkeeper in the in the whole mls stefan fry stefan fry is pretty good outs. yeah yeah he's pretty and he good he gets yeah. better in the playoffs he's had some pretty amazing moments from the highlights that i've watched yeah he's, he's i mean typically uh, a very clutch goalkeeper that save against it was against Toronto, correct? Toronto, right. yeah, yes. the first time won the MLS Cup. cup. Won. Yeah, yep. that was an ins- against uh, your American boy Josie Altador. I know. How <laughs> come? How come Stephen Fry isn't on USMNT? I mean, we have better keepers, but I mean, he's he's good. You think? I do. I don't know about that. Yeah, and so uh, getting back into this game just really quickly. So, yeah, Seattle has the best defense in the conference. Um, there are a couple in the Eastern Conference that have slightly better goals allowed. But getting into that expected goal conversation that I was getting into earlier, is that all that means is that, like how likely is a team going to score a goal and give it in mm-hmm. that percentage chances. And if you add all those percent chances into goal scoring opportunities. And Seattle in the Western Conference is number one. And by far actually in the whole league and number two is LAFC. And so if you look at like the hardcore analytics, you said, I'm coming on for stats. So here you are. Uh, Let's do it. Man. They're, they're number one and number two in the entire league for expected goals scored minus expected goals allowed. Mm-hmm. And so that's the caliber of teams you're getting in this matchup. And so it's kind of crazy that that's happening in the first round matchup. They're in the same conference and pitted against each other. So that's what makes this extra hard, but, assuming seattle advances then it gets really interesting where you get the winner of dallas which seattle's kind of owned in recent recent years in the playoffs especially uh in portland which we all know the history with portland so it's gonna be dead, it's gonna be interesting. i'll go ahead and lay down my prediction for the second round against portland uh pretty much seattle's better at everything than portland <laughs> portland's like that annoying little brother that like tries to challenge you all the time and you kind of let them have fun with it. But then at the end of the day, you just kind of, you know, give them one in the kisser and put him back where he belongs. And that's exactly what the Sounders will do to the Timbers in the second round, guaranteed. I would love yeah. that. Yeah, me too. I mean, I was just in Portland a couple months ago. And let me tell you, Seattle, I mean, for as much maligned as, especially locally, as like downtown Seattle is, it is so much better than Portland. My goodness, like there is no reason to live there. I don't know how you do it if you're in Portland, but good God. Um, Portland is actually... Do some beer down there. 
that's the one redeeming quality, I guess. Um, Portland's actually had success up here in Seattle. So it's, that, it's like this weird thing where Seattle wins down at Providence Park in Portland and mm-hmm. they win up here. And it's this bizarre dynamic that I can't quite understand. But I agree with you, Sam. I mean, Portland's kind of just a shit city in general. And so I think just by that alone, we trounce them. And so then you get into the Western Conference final, probably against probably against Sporting because they've been pretty consistent, but you could easily see them losing one of those two games. And Seattle probably wins one of those too. And so if you, I think LAFC on their path to the MLS Cup final is their biggest hurdle. So you think they clear that hurdle and they're on to the MLS final? I do. I do. I mean, you've seen them in there, what, three out of the past four years? Um, yeah. Can't argue with that. And they've made Schmetzer the playoffs is one of... ev- every single year of their existence. Right. Like never missed the playoffs. That's pretty insane. We and do so... have that's that's a really good shout out, Justin. And like for those of you that aren't huge Sounders fans or don't watch soccer, just imagine like a a team expanding. Let's say the Sonics come back or something like that. Okay. And then if they were to start in next year's season, okay. And then 12 years later, you're looking back and they made the playoffs every single year. It's pretty much equivalent of that because the NBA, you make the playoffs if you're what top two thirds of your conference or something like that. Like, yeah, eight teams in each. Well, I guess top half, but still, like it's. I mean, it's essentially the same thing here. So, all I'm saying is that it's very impressive what the Sounders are doing and the history of winning that they've they've shown over the last you know 12 years and even before that as a USL team, they've had a strong tradition of being a winning winning team, and they've really continued that over the last 12 years in MLS. So. Essentially, if you're a Seattle sports fan, imagine the Mariners and then imagine the exact opposite of what the Mariners could be. And that's been the founders of in their history. That's a that's a better way of putting it than I did. I didn't really know where I was going with that for a second. So thank you for reeling that back in, Justin. I I mean, I just I love to shit on the Mariners. And so yeah, as a a Mariners fan. We are going to show them a little bit of love here towards the end of the episode, though. So and I mean, Sam, it looks like you wanted to say something. They're the lovable, they're the lovable losers. So go ahead, uh, Sam. Nah, I don't know how lovable you can be. I mean, <clears throat> here's my other, if we're going to carry these analogies forward, the Seattle Mariners in 2001, they last time they went to the playoffs, they won the most games in the regular season or tied for the most wins in the regular season. Ever. Ever. The, Arguably the best regular season team in Major League Baseball history. And then from that moment on, have never made the playoffs. In recent memory, what's the what's the most recent example of the best regular season sporting team ever? The Golden State Warriors won 73 regular season games. That was a big deal. They passed the Chicago Bulls, 92 wins. and Or sorry, 72 wins. And... That would be like the Golden State Warriors not making the playoffs for almost two decades. That's ridiculous. So, I, I mean, I enjoy Safeco Field. I enjoy eating some, you know. T-Mobile Park. 
Uh, no, we're not doing that. It's <laughs> Safeco Field, all right? Ken Griffey Jr. built that place at Safeco. I enjoy some, you know, roasted crickets and dipping dots, watch a baseball game. So, I don't know. I think... I agree. It's been awful. The Sounders have been awesome. I do catch a game every once in a while. Now that we're in the playoffs, I'll probably tune in. Justin has convinced me, and uh, hopefully they'll be hoist- hoisting the trophy at the end of this. Yeah, Justin, if if they get to the MLS Cup, who do you think they are, like you are predicting them to, who do you think they're facing? Do you think it's the Supporter Shield winners in Philadelphia, or do you think another team comes out on on top in the East? Yeah, great question. Um, if I had to pick a team right now to come out of the East, I would say it would be Toronto. So it would be... A Seattle part Toronto part four. four. Wow. You heard it here for it, folks. Part four. Seattle Toronto MLS Cup. Get ready for it here come December. That's right. Do you think that the Sounders would win in that situation? Oh, man. It's like so many games ahead. Uh I guess it's it like would a be, it would be bracket, in Toronto. Right? Wait, it, would it be in Toronto or is it a neutral site this year? Let me check right now. Um, the higher reason, seed, the higher seed host. So they're so they're both two, they're seeds, both two seeds, but Toronto has more, more points, points, and they're going off points per game. Just this weird thing because not more. every and they still have more, and so it would be in Toronto, which you know we've had we're one and one there. Uh, and it well, no, it would not be in Toronto. Actually, it would be in like, oh yeah, because they aren't New even York, right? Because like Buffalo or something, right? Yeah, Canada teams cannot play uh, in Canada right now because where Canada's not allowing U.S. citizens that, or U.S. to go in there. So that like, we don't threw want me anything. Off so much when we were playing Vancouver in Portland. in Portland, yeah, that was and like so, the weirdest thing ever. I don't know where it would be. I think New York. I think it or New Jersey New at Red Bulls Field. I think where that's where they're playing. But yeah, oh, okay, that's a bizarre. Oh, that'd be interesting. That know. would be interesting. I hope it happens because that would be interesting. All right, before we wrap up on Sounders, I do want to talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the fact that Brian Schmetzer's deal with the Sounders is expiring at the end of this season after the playoffs. And you have... Brian Schmetzer is a pretty, you know, by-the-book guy in his press conferences. He doesn't get super testy or emotional and he's been noticeably like he actually brought this up and he's not one to bring up his contract he brought that up in one of his recent press conferences and you can tell this is frustrating him justin why haven't the sounders made a deal with with brian schmetzer and extended him to come back with the sounders after he's won two mls cups Fantastic question, Connor. That is one of the best questions I've ever received in my life. And <laughs> I, I don't know the answer, honestly. I, That's okay. what, what is prohibiting you from making a deal from the best coach in Sounders history? There's no other way to put it. I mean, not that their history is super long, but best coach in the league in the last five years. How about that, right? Yep. And, you know, Brian is clearly stated that he wants to stay here which is why he's brought it up on 
his Sounders shows weekly with Softy and Dick Fain on KJR, why he's mm-hmm. brought it up uh, in his post com- or his press conferences, like you've mentioned. And so I don't know why you'd be hung up on the dollar amount. That must be the only thing, right? Where Garth Lagerway thinks probably. like, oh, you know, he's probably not an elite coach, um, hasn't coached on all the highest levels, so probably doesn't deserve the salary like a Bob Bradley does, right? Even though, and then Brian Schmester will argue like, hey, I've done way more than this coach has in this league, so I want right. to get paid the same as that coach. And so that's where it probably comes down to. I live in the Kirkland area in Washington, and I pass Garth Lagerway actually most days when I go on my walks here because he lives near here and he's usually on the, he's usually on the phone, but I think I should just uh, tap him on the shoulder and be like, Hey, Hey Garth. Hey buddy. What's going on here? Yeah. Can we get a deal? It's a time's ticking. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I am pretty perplexed on why this just can't be done, especially going into the playoffs. The season's almost, almost over now. We don't want this to go into some free agency nonsense. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's, you can criticize a couple things about Brian Schmetzer. One of them being what I kind of brought up earlier. He's, he's not the greatest at squad rotation. He tends to play, you know, kind of overplay players and they end up being tired sometimes in certain, certain matches, certain key matches. But I mean, fact of the matter is he's won you two MLS cups and He's been consistently the best coach in the league probably for the last three years or so as far as just wins, getting his team up for key games, and getting his team up ultimately in playoff games that obviously are are, are the biggest of games. So, and add, that, add to that fact the fact that Schmetzer has been a sounder for a very long time and he truly is someone that exhibits what being a sounder is all about. So I can't really think of anyone better, better for the job than him. And so I'm, I'm with Justin here. I'm pretty perplexed by no deal being done. And I, I think Schmetzer is is right to be a little testy because it's a little disrespectful. Like this guy's been all class since he became the coach and took over for Siggy Schmidt, and that was 2016. Right? Yeah, it was in the middle of our year where we get we got waxed by Kansas City, and yeah. you know we gave Siggy the boot, and Schmetzer took over and carried us to the MLS Cup title. And so it's kind of like I mean, different sport, way more money. If Pete Carroll won been to the Super Bowl three out of the four years and won the title twice. I don't think there'd be any consideration whether he'd be staying here. Right. And so it's just pretty ridiculous that we're even thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, speaking of which, that's a great segue, right? Like Pete Carroll's been to the Super Bowl twice, won once. He's, is he the oldest NFL head coach? And he just got extended. He did. That, you know, strengthens your argument. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anything else you want to touch on, Justin, as far as Sounders go? Garth Lagerway, get the deal done. Get the deal done, man. Um, no, I mean, just November 24th, Tuesday night, yep. 7.30 p.m. Don't know what network it's on yet, but I'm sure it'll be announced more to come. Yeah. Uh, probably FS1 or... FS1 or ESPN, but probably FS1, I think. But, yeah, um, 
looking forward to the game for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for all your expertise on that, Justin, and carrying that segment. Uh, Sam and I are a little lacking in the in the soccer department as far as expertise goes. So I, I do know Sounders, but I historically don't know a lot about soccer or football. Oh, I'm sure Sam can speak to all the Christian Pulisic facts that you want to throw at him or the Clint mm. Dempsey. Uh, when it comes to USMNT. Best uh, soccer team in the world. Yeah. Which we can Sam. talk about at some point. I hope so. Yep. We're going to be good, man. Yeah. Pulisic. We'll do McKinney. a... We'll do a special like kind of like, I don't know, maybe like in like mid-January or February or something like that. We'll do a USMNT episode just to, you know, kind of fill that void in in Seattle sports world here when it's a little bit quieter. So, oh, that, yeah, we should definitely do that, but it's not going to be quiet. That's hot. That's a hot time for UW recruiting, my man. That's true. We'll be dialed in on the recruiting on the recruiting trail, seeing what this 2020 guess, class is going to be like. No, no doubt. Absolutely. 2021. Sorry. Absolutely. All right, guys, should we transition to the Hawks? So oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I was feeling a lot better about doing this episode before, before Sunday, which is yesterday as we're recording this on a Monday night. And the Seahawks have been suffice to say, a prolific prolific offense this year and a not so great defense and it's been pretty much the same story every game this year um and they are coming off of a probably their worst performance of the season in a 44 to 34 loss to the buffalo bills in buffalo on sunday Guys, what are your key takeaways from this game as far as like what what went wrong? What do you think was the biggest factor contributing to the Seahawks losing this game? I'll let uh I'll let Sam go first. Uh well, when you have your cornerbacks playing 20 yards off the ball, that's going to be a fucking problem. Last time I checked in football, all you need to get is 10 yards all the way down the field. So why would you line up beyond the first down? I don't know. One of you can tell me why we were doing that. Quentin Dunbar, number 22, all game. I mean, I don't know. There's those, you know, cushion pillow infomercials. Quentin Dunbar should be on that, given the types of cushions he was to the bill receivers. It was ridiculous. (laughs) Oh man, I'll take that one after that. I mean, yeah, how do you follow that up? Uh, follow that up. I, I agree with everything that Sam said, so I don't want to beat a beat a dead horse. But I will say it's really hard to win a football game when you lose the turnover battle four to zero. I don't care how good Russell Wilson is, and you know he has to be almost magical if we play a decent team. But if you throw two interceptions, fumble the ball twice it's just really hard to beat a team on the road, a good team when you lose the battle like that. And so that's another contributing factor, but I absolutely agree with everything that Sam said. Yeah. And I'll, I'll double down here. I'm going to say something that Seahawks fans aren't going to like, unless something changes the second half of the season, there's no chance in hell we win the Super Bowl. People that know me and my football philosophy 
is the most critical things in football. I give Justin so much credit keying in on the turnover margin. That's super important. You love Pete Carroll, don't you? I mean, I hated his guts when he was at USC, but now that he's the Seahawks coach, I actually do like him quite a bit because he's football philosophy. You guys are aligned. So keep going though. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a defensive minded guy. I mean, you wouldn't know that if you just tuned into Seahawks for 2020, <laughs> it's been freaking ridiculous out there, but football philosophy wise, you pound the rock. Time, you chew up time of possession. Your offense has the ball and you win the games in the fall, in the winter, when it really matters, by running the ball and playing good defense, neither of which this team does at all. Chris Carson needs to get back, and he needs to get in rhythm. If he can do that, then I – I mean, he is the key to the second half of the season. If he can come back and be an effective runner that – you know, I really like his game. I like his style of running. It's exactly what we need. If he can give our defense some rest – and keep honestly keeping our defense off the field is the best defense we have right now. Like when they're on the field, the other team scores points. And so to that extent, the fact that Russell has been so prolific in his offensive, you know, touchdowns, both passing and rushing to some degree has put our defense in a position to be taken advantage of. And, you know, to my point in the beginning, if you can't run the ball and you can't play defense, like I would love to see Russell Wilson win this year, the MVP, he deserves it. At least get a freaking vote for once for crying out loud. But if he wins the MVP, this team to me looks like an individual statistics team. They're not a Super Bowl team. Like they need to prove me wrong. They need to be able to play defense. They need to be able to be multiple unpredictable on offense. And right now it's like, Hey, Russ and DK, are you going to win us the game or not? And when you get down into the playoffs, you're playing good teams, good coaches week in, week out. You can't be one dimensional and we are a one dimensional team. And maybe, I mean, I love Russell Wilson. He's for sure a hall of famer. I think all of these talking heads and pundits, East Coast bias. They love Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. It's ridiculous to think that there's a better quarterback out there right now than Russell Wilson. I don't care if he played bad this Sunday or not. He's the best football player in the league, hands down. So, like, maybe if anybody can win a Super Bowl by themselves, it currently in the landscape of football, it's probably Russell Wilson. But we need to get our defense together. We need to generate pass rush. We actually need to play the style of defensive football that Pete Carroll is used to having press corners. I know Mike or off Mike, we were talking about it earlier, Connor around like Quinton Dunbar. Maybe he's not been a great fit in our defensive scheme. Cause he's not traditionally been known to be a press corner. Hmm. Maybe he's a little bit injured. And so they're trying to like safeguard against that, but Holy cow, dude, like, he wouldn't. He was like scared to get within ten yards of the opposing players. It's ridiculous. You can't play defense that way. Yeah, I mean, and Pete said it, and he's he is injured. Like his his knee is obviously bothering him, and it's impacting his ability to practice during the week. So they are they're managing that right now. Well, they're not managing it well, Jesus. Right, and it it doesn't make an excuse for 
the mindset that I'm seeing Dunbar play with, which is scared. So I that that doesn't scream Seahawks football to me. Uh, one of your, I mean, that's your that's your top corner right now, Shaquille Griffin, hurt. Yeah, it's and ridiculous. if he's if he's playing scared, that sets a bad tone for the entire defense. You want to know what else screams not Seahawks football? Is when your leading sacker on the entire team is your safety, Jamal Adams, who in his own right is a good blitzer. He gets after the quarterback through his whole career. But you first off, you never want your safety to have the most sacks on the team. Secondly, you don't want your safety, who's only played half the damn season, to be the leader on your team in sacks. He has three and a half sacks in four games, which is actually pretty crazy good. But how do we not have anyone else on the team that has more sacks than somebody who's only played half the games? Yeah, and this is something that we talked about all offseason with them addressing this, this pass rush, which was obviously a huge hurdle to overcome last year, the fact that they had no pass rush. And, you know, in hindsight, thank God they didn't get Clowney back because he's got zero sacks in seven games and they didn't resign him to a, to a deal. So, and he's injured now, isn't he done for the season? uh, I'm not sure if he's done for the season, but he is nursing an injury. I know that. Um, Yeah. Back to the hot. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating because the pass rush was something that we've, we've talked about, obviously, for going on a year and a half that they needed to improve it. And they did just get an acquisition right done right before the deadline. John Schneider pulled some of his, you know, mid season magic and traded a draft pick and a, an offensive lineman that was not playing in BJ Finney and offloaded some cap and acquired Carlos Dunlap, who debuted on Sunday, and I thought he had a decent game. He showed some promise and definitely has some athleticism at that Leo position that we haven't seen since Frank Clark. What what I want to touch on, though, is that we've been talking about this pass rush. They come out and get seven sacks on Sunday but they give up the most points in the Pete Carroll era football. So is the pass rush really what we should be talking about as far as the biggest problem on this defense? Uh, I mean, you probably have a combination of the two, Connor, where you have a lack of pass rush that, you know, doesn't get to the quarterback. You have all day to throw, and I don't care who your corners are, you're going to get open if you have all day to throw. It's just natural, right? But on the other hand, we have below the, below average quarters. Uh, some would say even further below average, like one of the worst, um, which may or may not be true. And so when you have those two things working for you, it's a disaster class. And we haven't, had, we haven't seen a defense give up this many passing yards in a season since the 2011 Packers, where they were just you know, Swiss cheese for lack of a better term. (laughs) And so 
they were actually 15 and one in that season and lost to the giants in the divisional round of the playoff, but it's just something we haven't seen before. And you just saw the bills absolutely disrespect uh, kind of like uh, Sam and I's roommate in college, Harsha, where he would just run the same play over and over and over again against <laughs> us in Madden because it was broken and just absolute disrespect the game. And that's what the Bills did to us. They didn't even try to run the ball. It nope. doesn't matter. It's like, we know you're okay at stopping the run. You suck at stopping the pass. We're going to pass every single play, and it doesn't matter to who because they will be open. And unless you get a pass rush – with without blitzing or zero blitzing on third and 16s you can get to the quarterback and a you have cornerbacks that don't stand 20 yards from the receiver then this won't change and it's going to be a huge problem like sam alluded to in us not getting to a super bowl yeah that's the other point that i want to touch on that justin just brought up is you know my counter argument to your point connor around us having seven sacks or whatever it was yep like we're blitzing like a crazy person. No doubt. We're blitzing at like 30 to 40% of the time. And you look at the, the game this past weekend, or, I mean, the plays that the Bills made in that game that really sealed the deal for them, halfback screen, wide receiver screen. That is yep. a blitz killer. And yep. I mean, we know that we can't rush the pass at least – historically that through this season with our down linemen hopefully i'm optimistic that carlos dunlap will be able to change that to a certain extent i really mm -hmm. really liked what i saw out of him on sunday and i think as he gets more comfortable in the defensive scheme and with his teammates and kind of playing off of one another i know we were talking earlier off mic about how having someone like carlos dunlap to play in that leo role that we've really been searching for someone to fill in for Frank Clark for a while could really improve the game of someone like a Jaron Reed. He's had a, he had a good game on Sunday, I think. Yep. So perhaps having a proven pass rusher, we can dial back the blitzes a little bit, but I mean, I love aggressive, hard hitting defense, but blitzing at that rate is prone to give up the big play. And it's just a matter of time. And the Bills, I mean, hats off to them. I think they called an unbelievable offensive game. Mm -hmm. They hit those screens at like most pivotal pivotal moments in the game. They knew that we were coming out all out, you know, engage eight blitz. <laughs> and yeah, we paid for it big time. Yeah. I think just put simply, we were just out coached and outplayed in that game and we were just outmatched. Um, it's disappointing just because of the high expectations that we have for this team. And we know the potential that they could, they could achieve if, if they're playing at their highest level, but yeah, they didn't get it done on Sunday and it just wasn't our day. If you're looking at a bright spot, this is probably the, the game on the, as far as the remainder of the schedule, this is the game that you can kick and it probably doesn't have any huge impact on seedings towards the rest of the season as far as um overall overall conference record because it's an it's a non-conference game and um you know it's a it's an away game away afc game so this is this is one that you circle on the calendar probably at the start of the season and you probably mark that as a loss to begin with just because we knew that buffalo was going to be a pretty solid team this year um 
real quick, I want to kind of go back to the pass rush. And Sam, you made a really good point that we've been overcompensating for the, the lack of pass rush with our four down linemen by blitzing. And a lot of that, you know, with, with Jamal Adams coming back is likely to come from Jamal Adams. One of the things, so there were two players recently released that Seahawks Twitter, at least, is wanting us to pursue. Do you guys, either of you, see us pursuing Tack McKinley, who was just released, or rather waived, I should say, by the the Falcons, and he has to clear waivers before we'd be able to sign him or... Um, we'd have to claim him and we're like 27th, I think in the, in the waiver claim order. So likely has to cl clear waivers for us to even have a shot or a Vic Beasley. Um, Vic Beasley was just released by the Titans. I think two weeks ago, one or two weeks ago, I know that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have been pretty hesitant on, and they've obviously made a couple of acquisitions, but they've done a little bit less of that this year with COVID and just the rules surrounding the protocols involved with COVID. Do you see them possibly bringing in someone else to solidify that defensive line and help with the pass rush just in kind of a base defense standpoint, rather than having to overcompensate with blitzing? Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, it's a tough question because the Titans themselves regarding Vic Beasley having pass rush issues of their own mm -hmm. and so obviously uh clowny went there he has zero sacks injured um they're having some struggles on the defense like we are if you look at nfl tiers and what the tiers mean it's like epa i don't do you guys know what epa is expected points allowed mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and so it's like you have expected points allowed on the defense and the offense and obviously our offense is skewed like if you think of like a quadrant uh we're on the right on offense so you're going right and then you're down for defense so we're negative expected points allowed for defensively and the titans are right there with us and so mm -hmm. when you look at value adds is it like is it going to help us that much to get Vic beasley is in it gonna change our outlook right I don't know. I don't know if it's that much better. Is it better than what we have though? Is a Benson Mayoa making stupid ass field goal offsides penalties and oh, those right. dumb heady plays? Is that, is that worth it to take a chance on another player? Maybe, maybe it is. It's just, I don't think it's very significant if it is. And so maybe that's the pessimist in me, but I don't know if those additions and Tack McKinley are, good enough to improve the roster what about you sam yeah i at this point i'd probably agree with uh, justin i have a hard time seeing where they would fit in on the defense like where would they be a significant improvement upon the roster that we're putting out there already i'm i'm always a fan for competition and you know both of them being fired from their previous job maybe that lights a fire under their ass and given another opportunity they can really prove themselves and based on that maybe i'd be leaning more towards tack mckinley because you know he's been in atlanta he was a first round pick 
maybe, you know, it was a dose of humble pie and he gets a second chance with Pete Carroll and a historically really good defensive team in the Seattle Seahawks and can make things work. I'm a little bit less high on Vic Beasley. He's, he's already had his opportunity with two different teams, two different systems, and it really hasn't worked out for him. Um, but yeah, echoing Justin's points, I think we got our guy, Carlos Dunlap. He's for sure going to have an impact on this team, the second half of the season. Mm-hmm. And if we look at really improving our defense and our, our past defense in particular, and peeling that back a layer deeper and looking at our pass rush. I'm more optimistic about the secondary impact of adding someone to the roster like Carlos Dunlap, going back to my original comment around, you know, improving the stats of someone like a Jaron Reed or a Puna Ford, some of those interior guys that are now going to get less attention because they're going to be kicking out, trying to block Carlos Dunlap. So I think one player really can have a tremendous impact on that, that front defensive line when it comes to attacking the quarterback. So if we're, if we're looking for a place where this pass rush is going to improve significantly, the second half of the season, like obviously Carlos Dunlap as an individual is going to have an impact there. He's going to, you know, probably catch up with the rest of the roster in terms of sacks and be our leading sack artist by the end of the year. But I think that second tier of improvement is going to come from people already on the roster that are going to benefit from having a weapon on the field like Carlos Dunlap, as opposed to bringing, you know, another person in to the organization from the outside. It's just my take right now. Yeah, I think I, well, I agree with you, Sam. I think some of the players that are going to have the impact from the inside might be different. I'm looking at Rasheem Green, who just came back from being on the pup list and was finally activated this last week. And we saw a little bit of him in that Buffalo game and he, he played all right. Like, I mean, he's, he's still just getting back into the game, but this is, I think, I think this is someone that is going to impact pretty heavily on this team in the second half of the year. So I'd look for Rasheem Green to take that next step and, you know, probably in these last eight games, I see him getting two or three sacks, which isn't bad. And more than anything, it's pass rush win rate, right? We need someone that's going to consistently be in the quarterback's face. And it hasn't even been close to, we haven't had anyone getting even close to the quarterback for the first half of the year. I mean, your, your top two sackers right now are Jamal Adams and Bobby Wagner. Right. Neither of which play with their hand in the ground. That's a problem. Right. But I I do like where your head's at though. I do like where your head's at. I think another player that's caught my eye is the rookie Alton Robinson from Syracuse. Yeah, I think well. in the in the chances that he's had, I mean, he's not getting a, a super high snap count right now. But inconsistent, yeah. I think as he kind of gets his feet underneath him in the NFL, maybe towards the end of the season, I, I really like what he brings. I think he has a really good, you know, 
speed and power combination that obviously everyone in the NFL covets. So if, if you're looking for, you know, a dark horse to really break out in the second half of the season along the defensive line, Rasheem Green is a great choice. I like him a lot as well. But Alton Robinson, I think, could become a, a key player to a playoff push if we're going to make one. Yeah, another guy that I want to bring up, too, that we're not sure if he's actually going to come back or not, but is Daryl Taylor, which was their second round pick. Top top pick this year, right? He was, he he was from Tennessee. Round. Yeah. Yes. And so he's coming off of a major surgery over the offseason um, on, I think, something in his leg. I can't remember if it's his ankle or his leg. And someone that the Seahawks thought highly of and would have picked him in the first round, but ended up trading down. He was still there. So um, he's got crazy athleticism and great bend and is really kind of an upside pick for them. So someone that I would like, I mean, it suffice to say you can't get any worse than what they've thrown out there. So I'm looking forward to sprinkling in a few of these guys that haven't, played that much this year or played at all and seeing what they can do. And I do, I do think Alton Roberts Robinson, someone that's going to earn more snaps kind of as the season goes along and as he proves himself and from the, from the limited snaps that he's gotten just inconsistent, I guess I would say, cause he has, yeah. I think he played a lot in like the 49ers game, yep. but he didn't play as much in the Cardinals game. So like, he's just been a little bit inconsistent with his snap counts. I think he's someone that's, that's definitely going to develop over, over the, the course of the year. And is someone that I would like to see more heavily in that rotation. I've not, I'm, I've not seen anything from Benson Mayoa to, you know, show that he should be getting snaps over any of these guys at this point. I know he's the veteran and Pete likes to rely upon veterans, but He's also all about competition. So adding to that competition with some of these new faces slash old faces that have not played yet this year, I think is going to be key for this pass rush, getting back on track to where we want it to be in order for the rest of this defense to really play to their full potential. Because as much as we talk about that, this defense has been absolute dumpster fire so far this year, there's talent across this defense you have bobby wagner arguably the best middle linebacker in the game kj wright who's had a hell of a season might i add yeah he's played really well you have shaquille griffin who was a pro bowler last year you have quentin dunbar who was one of the top rated corners in the league last year according ha. to Pro football focus haha We'll get back to that. We have Jamal Adams, who, for I mean, we gave up a lot of compensation. Let's stop on Jamal Adams just for a second. How are you? How are you viewing that trade right now? I mean, we're going to need more from him uh, to make it worth it, right? I mean, right now he is the de facto pass rusher, and you know, rumored tiffs between him and Pete Carroll on him not getting enough pass rushing opportunities 
But at the end of the day, I mean, as a safety, you have to cover and do some, you have to have some coverage responsibilities. And I mean, it's not an Earl Thomas yet, right? I mean, we haven't seen the level of play we need to give up the compensation that we, we've given up. And so if you look at pro football focus ratings, which aren't everything, uh, I think we were talking about this pre-show. I think he's like 78th out of 91st. And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's yeah. bad. I mean, the, the, it's bad so far. I mean, Ryan Neal probably has a better rating according to the data nerds than Jamal Adams. And so we need a lot more. He needs to, I mean, he can't just lose receivers. I mean, he was absolutely turned around by, I think, Diggs in this game. Yeah, and, he got smoked. And it's bad. I mean, safeties themselves, it was already like a lot to give up for a safety. And Jamal Adams regarded as one of the best in the game. So it's kind of understandable, but we, we need more. We need more, Sam. Yeah, no, for sure. I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt right now again going back to my earlier point he's only played half the season he has been to his credit our best pass rusher which is you know it's the lazy argument to make that that's a bad sign when your safety is your your top pass rusher but I think that's probably doing a little bit of a disservice to him he is pretty freaking good at getting after the quarterback and I think he's added an element to our defense when he's on the field from just like a hard hitting, tough nosed attitude brings, you know, the rest of the defense, I think plays off of that to a degree. So that's some of the things that maybe won't show up on the stats that go in his favor, but I really do align with Justin's general point that, you know, you, you make a trade for arguably the best safety in the league. You really are looking for someone who's an all around player and him and pass coverage against the bills was a bad look. He got smoked a couple times and didn't look like he knew what was going on or this or that. And I don't remember, is he wearing the, the captain C on his Jersey for our defense or is Bobby? I would assume Bobby is, but okay. if they they might have multiple captains, so possibly yeah. I'm not sure. Either way, he's for sure one of the leaders on the team, mm-hmm. but he's got to play better all around defense. And it seems like, you know, for sure we're gonna continue to rely on him in terms of pass rush as a safety blitz, but he's got to pick it up when it comes to to pass coverage as well. And he's just simply not getting it done. So. I'm hoping to get a little bit more out of him. I know the groin injury can be a nagging one. It looked like he kind of tweaked it towards the end of the game, which kind of had my heart sinking for a little bit because we need him to be his best self for this defense to to recognize their potential. And I think Softy tweeted it out at some point during the weekend. I know he had a rough Sunday himself as we all did, but for the amount of talent in the first round draft picks that we have on this defense, it's ridiculous that we are statistically by far and away the worst defense in the NFL. Like we should at least be in the middle of the pack. And I don't really know where to go from here. Like I'm never, I've talked about it before. I'm never going to be a proponent for mid season coaching changes, but Ken Norton jr. 
he's on the hot seat big time and I'd be shocked unless there's some miraculous turnaround that he'll be back as the DC next year because he's got talent on the field. I mean, you mentioned it. You got a Hall of Fame linebacker and Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright's having, you know, looking like he found the fountain of youth playing out of his mind. And you've got arguably the the best safety in the league. Gotta be at least at least in the middle of the pack and to think that we're so far in a league of our own in terms of the worst defense, particularly against the pass is just inexcusable. Yeah. And I think this is a product of, I think in, in a regular NFL team, you'd probably see a defensive coordinator change at this point in the year. Yeah, for sure. But Pete Carroll is a very loyal person and isn't one to make a an assistant coach or a coordinator change during a season so as much as you know seahawks twitter and all the fans are calling for ken norton to be fired i think that's almost off the table i highly doubt that that would happen yeah so i mean that's and that's kind of what you what you were alluding to earlier, Sam, is like what's scariest right now is where do we go from here? Like what so if we're not gonna fire our coordinator, what can we do? One of the things that I've heard people talk about is taking responsibility from Ken Norton as far as play calling on defense goes and giving that to Pete Carroll. Do you agree with that? Or is there some other change that you could see happening? Obviously, Dan Quinn is looking for yeah. a job, and that's yeah. the name that a lot of people are floating around right now as replacing Ken Norton. But is it some somehow that you could bring him in as some kind of consultant or in that type of role just to have another voice in the room and maybe have someone that's a little bit more experienced at being a successful defensive coordinator than Ken Norton. I want to get your thoughts about that a little bit before we kind of do a wrap up on the first half of the season with the Seahawks, but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you have to do something, right? Is it, you have to ask yourself, is it the Pete Carroll style of defense that no matter the defensive coordinator, whether it's Gus Bradley or uh, Dan Quinn or Ken Norton is, is, is that the style that Pete Carroll wants to make? And he calls the shots. And admittedly he had, before the reporters had asked him, he had said he had made the call on the third and 16, the blitz that I mentioned earlier that where the bills through the screen got that jailbreak essentially. Which and Pete so did, always takes the bullet. And I was just going to say, is that because he's protecting Ken Norton prematurely or he actually made the call? I don't think we'll ever know, but Clearly something needs to be done, whether it's a shift of strategy or bringing in another head to say, hey, this is this is so wrong with your defense. We need to do something else. And so I would be a proponent of bringing on a, another 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 source of knowledge. Right. I mean, you've seen that in the college game with Steve Sarkeesian going and being an advisor to teams in the past. Or right. you've seen that with fired coaches in the past, even in the NFL. So. I don't know what is possible, but we need to do something because it's clearly not working. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that 
handing over play calling to Pete Carroll is the answer. I think Mm -hmm. similarly to the point Justin brought up is it's Pete Carroll's defense as it stands. And he's got the veto power on any given play. And I don't think handing the play calling duties to him is going to do us any good. Um, I do think bringing in some sort of defensive consultant, whether it's a Dan Quinn, I don't know what Gus Bradley's up to these days, but somebody that we've, you know, has connections to the organization, connections to Pete, knows the team culture, could really like jump in day one and be able to make an impact, I think would make sense. But really at the end of the day, I think Connor, you raised the question, like, is this the Pete Carroll defense that we're used to seeing? And I mean, the obvious answer to that is no, but I think your question there is the question, the underlying question in that is, is the lack of prolific defense a product of coaching and play calling? I'd probably say no. Like, I mean, t- hindsight's 2020 the third and 16 all-out blitz was a bad call but if we get a sack there it's a great call i don't know that our coaching is the problem when you look at the great defenses that we've had you have guys winning one-on-one matchups like name one player on this defensive roster that you've seen pop out on sundays winning one-on-one matchups whether that's in the pass rush, even in the linebacking group, like Bobby Wagner's had a decent season. He's probably the only person playing above average defense for us right now for his position. Nobody in the secondary is really jumping out at you. I know we mentioned like um, pro uh, PFF stats at the beginning of the the Seahawks segment here. Mm -hmm. And all of our corners have regressed in their ratings in terms of pass coverage. Like, I don't want to totally under like put it all on the players. I think there's for sure a coaching aspect to it, but I'm when I'm watching on on Sundays, like our players are just not winning their matchups. Our corners are getting beat. Our defensive linemen are getting blocked. Like at the end of the day, you can't get like we really hone in on the pass rush. Like as a coach, what can you do? Like we're calling stunts, we're calling blitzes. Like our players are not winning their one-on-one matchup. And I think that is probably more of the problem. I think coaching for sure plays a hand in it, but I think at the end of the day, our individual players aren't winning and their responsibility on any given play. And that's more of the problem than anything right now. So, you know, I I know we've been totally shitting on the defense this whole podcast, but like (laughs) I, we should probably, Put things in perspective. Be where yep. our feet are on the ground. Absolutely, the Seahawks team is good. Our, I mean, for as much as we've been trashing on the defense, our offense has been even more positive and prolific than our defense has been bad. That's why we're six and two. Arg- and, arguable there, but yes. Well, I mean, if it wasn't, we'd be we'd have a losing record. Like sure. Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf. Carson's been effective when he's healthy. Lockett, it seems like Metcalf and Lockett go back and forth for, you know, leading NFL receiver of the week. And I, for the most part, our offensive line has been average, I'd say. So we're putting up points 
this team is going to be good. We're for sure a playoff team. I don't see a scenario where we don't make the playoffs. You know, with when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, as a fan, your expectation should always be Super Bowl. We got to win a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson's not going to be here forever, although I think he'll probably have a long career just given his natural ability. Mm-hmm. But you got to take advantage of these years where your offense is really humming. And it's just a shame that our defense at this point in the season seems like come playoff time is going to be an Achilles heel and be the reason why we don't realize our full potential as a football team. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, if you take a step back, this team is six and two, despite all of the defensive inefficiencies that we've talked about. And I mean, most of that is because we have an MVP candidate in Russell Wilson, like you said, Sam. And one of the things that obviously has been stressed over the last couple of years, just to give Russ more control of this offense and be a bigger role in this offense. He's obviously the best player on the field. So let him cook. That's what all everyone's been saying, right? All the Seahawks fans have been saying, let Russ cook. You'll hear everyone talking about that on Sundays. They have fun little graphics on Fox and CBS and NBC, whatever network they're playing on. They'll have some funny let Russ cook graphic basically every every week that the Seahawks play. Now, one of the things that kind of Sam, you were talking about is that is this going to be a winning recipe in the long term come playoff time? And one of the things that we've seen two of the last three weeks is Russell obviously knows how bad this defense is. And you can see him, especially without Carson in there to solidify the running game, forcing and overcompensating for having a bad defense because he knows and wants to score basically on every play. And you're seeing uncharacteristic errors from him. He's he tur- he threw three interceptions against Arizona a few weeks ago, and then turned the ball over four times in this most recent game against the Buffalo Bills. One of the things that I've also heard, well, uh, one of the things that is I guess obvious now in hindsight is that while they're six and two many of their wins actually aren't that impressive at this point in the year based on how those teams that they've won against have performed over the course of the season. And probably their best win right now is against the Miami Dolphins, which, might I shout out, have been low-key and MVP for the Seahawks this year because they have we beat them, and then they beat the other three NFC West teams. So... Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens the rest of this year. They obviously have to fix the defense because I agree with Sam. I don't think this is a recipe for winning in the playoffs. It's exciting. It's fun because, you know, well, fun, I guess, if you're sick and twisted like I am. But (laughs) it's frustrating as hell because obviously they're making games closer than they need to be in some instances or everything's coming down to the wire or they're 
digging themselves in a huge hole that they're trying to come back from. And, you know, as great as Russell Wilson is, I don't know if you can count on him. And quite frankly, you can't based on the last three weeks of performance, you can't count on him to put up, you know, MVP godlike numbers every week and save your ass. So especially once you get into a lot of these good teams, like they've played in the last few weeks and, you know, the Arizona Cardinals who are widely regarded as an up and coming playoff team. And then the Buffalo bills who are one of the leaders in the AFC at this point in the year. Um, to, to that point though, yeah, you know, maybe as a segue to the next segment, mm-hmm. we have, you know, the bills were a tough opponent, but looking at the rest of the schedule, I'd say the second half is definitely favorable for, for the sure. Seahawks. I mean, we have no divisional opponents, but our non-divisional opponents being the NFC East, basically in the Eagles, Giants, Washington, throwing the Jets. That's that's pretty soft. Today. That's a soft landing spot for the second half of the season. So why don't we kind of dive into talking about our first half MVPs, first half breakouts, and then go into you know our predictions for the second half of the season. Yeah, Sam. So let's get into the offensive MVP here. And Justin, I want to hear from you first. Who do you think was the, you know, this is a pretty tough question here. I think I didn't mean to put you on the spot here, but who was the offensive MVP this year for the first half of the season? I mean, I'm so glad you paid me the guest star fee that you did, because I don't know how (laughs) I'd be be able to come up with this take. But I mean, honestly, how can you pick anyone but Russell Wilson, right? I mean, what he's done is... I mean, almost historic at the levels that he's been producing, right? I mean, not many QBs, maybe one, have more than him through eight games. This uh, through eight games, and I mean, without him, we'd have a losing record, as Sam alluded to, I think, in I a, earlier in the episode. So, while you could make arguments for other players, I don't, I don't see how it holds up to Russ. So, I, it's a clear winner for me. Same with you, Sam. Uh. Yeah, Russ is for sure the <laughs> offensive MVP. I don't know if I we really need to go into more. No, but... I'm guessing he's yours as well, Connor. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, like like Justin said, you could give some other players some shout here. Just like, you know, they've there's been other players on this offense that have obviously made impacts because of how prolific they've been. But it's all starting with number three. So Russ is your offensive MVP for the first half of the season. Moving on to de- defensive MVP, we we do have some differentiation across the board on this one. So, Justin, do you want to start off here with who your defensive MVP is? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you could talk about Carlos Dunlap in his one game. He's done arguably more than the whole defensive line. So maybe that's an MVP. Or you could mm-hmm. get into Bobby Wagner. I mean, just how stable is he is and how much of a leader he is. Or maybe Quandre Diggs, but to be honest, I think our best defense right now is offense, right? And we have to keep up with players. And so for me, it's another obvious one. It has to be Russell Wilson, right? (laughs) So your best, you know, you usually say your best offense is defense, but I think I'm flipping it and where your best defense is actually offense and staying on the field. And boy, sometimes we score too fast as we've seen in some, some games, but yeah, I think just overall, you can't even have a defensive MVP. So it's Russell Wilson twice for me. A little bit of a cop out, but it's actually how I feel. You got to wonder what Pete Carroll thinks of 
playing this style of ball. Like, I mean, I think there's a reason why he's been so stubborn to transition to this. And obviously the fans have been calling for it because it's where the strengths of the team fly and putting the balls in or wow, putting the, <laughs> putting the ball in the hands of your best player, not the balls and balls in the hand of your best player. We won't go down that road. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you have some good points there though, Justin, that as far as just like reversing that mindset of, you know, your best offense being your defense and best defense being your offense. So Sam, what do you think defensive MVP as woeful as they've been? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going quite to the extreme that Justin did in terms of naming an offensive player as your defensive MVP, but similarly to his, you know, thought there, I can't, I can't justify naming an actual defensive player the MVP when you're by far and away the worst defense in the league. And for that reason, who is the one player on the team that has helped our defense the most that doesn't play defense? And that is your punter, Michael Dixon. I think he has probably put our defense in a situation for success more than any single defensive player has in terms of flipping the the playing field and pinning opponents down in their own near their own red zone. And I think for that reason, I'll go with Michael Dixon. You know, I, I was bummed out for him a little bit. He's got some real finesse with that pig skin in his hands. I thought he was going to come through for us on that onside kick, but He's a fun player. I mean, if you're able to to make the punting game something of note, you're you're doing something right. So I think he's been arguably one of the better players on our team ever since we drafted him. Yes, we drafted a punter and it was damn well worth it. Michael Dixon <laughs> is my defensive MVP at this point. Yeah, I mean, field position is obviously a huge part of the game and it's something that Pete Carroll stresses. Um while he's a defensive guy, he also is huge on special teams as far as just, you know, playing that, that's that, uh, field position game. So Michael Dixon is certainly a weapon when it comes to pinning your opponent deep in their own half of the field. Uh, I am going with someone that actually does play defense and, we talked about him a little bit earlier in the episode, but I'm going with the long, longest tenured Seahawk in KJ Wright. KJ Wright has sneakily had a pretty solid season, albeit on a defense that has struggled mightily, but pro football focus gives him a 77.6 grade. While not outstanding, that's an above average grade, approaching Pro Bowl level grade. Uh, basically what I've... What I've gathered from pro football focus, 80 and above of a grade is usually a pro bowl level type player. So he's about as close as you can get without being truly a pro bowler. And he's just come up with some spot few plays that just stand out to me. The Spider-Man interception against uh, Kirk Cousins in the Sunday night football game against the Minnesota Vikings stands out to me a lot as one of the like highlight plays of the year, just as far as athleticism, just kind of a crazy play. I will also preface that with the fact, well, not preface because I'm saying it after now, but I will also 
add to that that he had a few super easy picks earlier in the year that he should have had. So if he comes down with another one or two interceptions, you're looking probably at an 80 plus grade here that we're right in his hands. Um, and he's, he's one of those guys that you can really rely upon blowing up a screenplay and just kind of causing havoc near the line of scrimmage in kind of the lateral t- movement type plays that you see a lot in the NFL these days. So my defensive MVP for the first half is KJ Wright. And more than anything, I just, I think he deserves a big shout out for playing well and playing well when, and proving a lot of people wrong when a lot of people thought that we should, we should let him walk a couple of years ago. He's more than earning that two-year contract that he signed at the beginning of last season. So I'm happy to see KJ still a part of this defense, still a mainstay. Obviously, he has lost a step in some ways, but still contributing in a big way towards this defense. And I think is a key going forward and possibly them turning it around for the second half of the year. Yeah, I like that pick. KJ's been pretty solid. And like I said earlier, seems like he found the the fountain of youth to a degree. He's playing really well. Mm-hmm. We want to move on to our first half of the season breakout player of the year. I think this is probably a unanimous pick Consensus. across all of the the 12th fan, 12th man, whatever whatever you want to call it. The Kalen Zacharias Metcalf, <laughs> a.k.a. DK Metcalf, has been an absolute stud. Second coming of Megatron Calvin Johnson, really putting himself, you know, in his first one and a half seasons as a pro in the upper echelon of wide receivers of all time. When you look at his production so early on in his career, it's relatively unmatched in NFL history. So it would be hard to pick anyone else besides DK in my eyes at this point. I don't know. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Justin. Absolutely. I mean, not only are receivers so important. If you look at a lot of baseball fans will know the stat wins above replacement, otherwise known as war. Uh, You have different position groups that are given war grades and wide receiver is number two. And so wide receiver is just a massively important position. And then at that, you're getting the second coming, as you said, Sam, of Megatron. And what he's done, I mean, he's just a physical specimen. You've seen players, I forget who on the Bills was, if it was Tredavious White or a different player. Tredavious White, yeah. Tried to come in and just try to hit stick him and just bounced off him like no tomorrow. And He so was so just, pissed afterwards, too. I loved it. Yeah, it, it's just seeing what he does. I mean, not only is he tall, he can go up and get the ball above almost, I think, any defender. Uh, he can go and truck some people, too, and just get that extra yardage and first down. So, I, yeah. I think this is is an easy call, as you said, Sam. Connor, do you agree? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I just want to add, though, that, like, I mean, he's putting up numbers that we haven't seen in a a second-year player since Randy Moss. Yeah. And last time I checked, Randy Moss was – he was all right at football. It's okay. He's – I – So, yeah, I mean – you can't I, I echo everything that you guys just said and don't have much to add to it other than the fact that just because of how physically dominant he, he is, 
not only is he putting up amazing stats, but he's intimidating the opponent at the same time. And to have that at the wide receiver position on your offense, just a total stud who can talk his trash because he can back it up. We haven't seen that on the Seahawks possibly ever. Okay. Steve Largent, he's my man. He was legit. But did Steve but does Steve Largent talk trash like DK Metcalf does? No, he didn't. Was he talk a physical trash. was he a physical specimen like did he wear DK a Metcalf? Like DK Metcalf does? Okay. They're you different would... types of players. Nothing against Steve Largent. Steve Largent is still the GOAT as far oh. as Seahawks wide receivers go. Seahawks wide receivers? He's the GOAT, right? Steve I don't have Largent? An oh, there. for sure. Yeah. And if we're going to talk about physicality, sure, he was, you know, smaller in stature, but I would just encourage any. I know what I like. You know, any, any millennial that oh, didn't boy. dabble in Seahawks history, just type in Steve Largent hit. Check it out on YouTube. There is a safety for the Denver Broncos who is a feared hitter in his own right by the name of Mike Harden. Got an interception. And he, once he intercepted the ball and became the ball carrier, was absolutely obliterated. One of the greatest hits in NFL history came by Steve Largent. So say what you want about his stature, but he had the heart of the li- heart of a lion. And I mean, he lit him up to kingdom come. It was ridiculous. So I, I'm all aboard the DK Metcalf train, but I'm not ready to crown him as the greatest Seahawks receiver. And Steve, I just can't, in my own right, I can't. Steve Largent's a legend. I can't go there. No doubt. I and I would say the exact same thing. I do think DK is heading that direction, but he's only in a second year, and Steve did it for a number of years. And my dad would probably kill me if he actually heard me say that DK Metcalf is the best wide receiver in Seahawks history at this point in his career. See, that's because that's the difference, Connor. Is like your dad, Phil, he's a really nice guy. Shout out he'd to probably Phil. he probably, you know, verbally abuse you for a little bit. My dad would actually kill me if I said that. <laughs> like everybody knows Daddy Sam. It would be a bad news bears. <laughs> So I have to hold it down for the OG Steve Largent for my does, own no well-being. Does uh, Sam Sr. listen to the podcast? He does. He does. All right. So I'm not his child, so I'll say I, I don't think it's I don't think it's going to be far off until DK Metcalf is the best receiver in Seahawks history. It could be as soon How many as years? next year. Ooh. Honestly, that's early. I, this okay. is nothing we've seen. I mean, what did I mean? Steve Largent has. All sorts of records for the Seahawks, no doubt. Currently, at this point in time, is the best. Who did he have thrown to him, though? It's all great points that I can't argue with, right? And so you have that on the side, but you haven't seen a physical specimen that can do any, like nobody can do what DK Metcalf does, where it's hard to say that you can't have other receivers that have done what Steve Largent can do, right? It's hard to make the argument. So I, it's going to be tough. I, I think it's going to be really close, and that is going to edge him really soon. Yeah, he could. I'm hopeful. I so would love to. It's it's a discussion to be continued another day, I think. But it, I do think – I think you're right, Justin, to some degree. I don't know if it comes that soon, but 
DK as well on his way to, you know, becoming one of the few best wide receivers in this league, if not already. So, yeah, I mean, he has it all in front of him. He's got the physical traits and he's got arguably the best quarterback. So I can't argue against the realism there, but Steve Largent was a boss. One quick tangent that I want to run down before we get to the second half breakout player are DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, the best wide receiver duo in the league right now. Justin, go ahead. It's hard pressed for me. I was trying to go through every team in those five seconds that I could to see what answer now. I mean, Calvin Ridley, Julio, maybe with Russell Wilson could be as good, but I, I can't say yes. There definitively is a better duo. So Mike that, Evans, they Chris have Godwin are a good one too. They are, um, but I, I can't say there's a better one right now. Yeah, fantasy football. Fantasy football says no, so I say no. <laughs> <laughs> all right, as, we're as a person all, who we're has all of our predictions now on and takes on fantasy football. <laughs> this is now Bingo. a fantasy football podcast. All right, guys, let's talk about the second half breakout player. And we do differ on this one. So this is another one that's worth some discussion. Um, Sam, I want to start with start with your second half breakout player. And it's someone that we've mentioned a little bit, quite a bit, I guess, quite a bit earlier in this episode, as far as kind of key, a key player turning around this defense. But why don't you go ahead and talk about your pick for second half breakout player of the year? Yeah, before I get into that individual particularly i do think we all i mean we all have different picks here but it's a general theme that as seahawks fans we're all hopeful that the second half breakout player is on the defensive side of the ball for sure i'm going with carlos dunlap i think based on what i saw in his first game in a seahawks uniform i was really excited about the production that he was able to provide mm-hmm. and if this defense is going to be successful, we have to get our past defense under control. It's just been a total sieve to this point. And I don't, I honestly look at our defensive backfield and I don't see a player that's going to be tremendously better than what we've seen in the first half of the season. And with that, I mean, who's a, a corner's best friend. It's going to be your pass rushing defensive end. And for that reason, I think Carlos Dunlap has the best opportunity in front of him in terms of, you know, really leaving his mark on this defense and being the catalyst that starts to turn this into hopefully an average defense, but at the very least a below average defense and, I think he has, again, to my point earlier, like we just haven't seen any defensive player besides Bobby Wagner and maybe KJ Wright win consistently on their one-on-one matchups against opposing offensive players. And looking at a roster, I think Carlos Dunlap, I mean, he's already proven in one game that he can do that. I think he'll continue to win his one-on-one battles in the trenches and have a significant impact not only in terms of sacking the passer, but getting pressure on him, forcing off-balance throws, and that can have a really 
significant impact on some defensive backs in terms of giving them some easy plays to make, building their confidence, their self-esteem, and hopefully it just kind of starts that domino or snowball effect and gets our defense headed in the right direction. Yeah, it's certainly where it all starts. And a secondary's best friend is a good pass rush. So hopefully that improves in this second half of the season. Justin, you have an interesting pick here for second half breakout player of the year. And if you had said this and stated this three weeks ago, I would have called you a fucking idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But hey, I want hey. I want I want you to defend your case now because I don't think that way now. Sure. To be fair. Don't, so, don't, don't talk to our guests like that. I'm sorry. I do <laughs> want you to come back on the pod. So let's, I'll, I'll be nicer. I'm sorry. No doubt. I mean, I wouldn't Please, disagree with me. you. I would think I would have worms inside my brain if I said this three weeks ago as well. But, you know, it's hard to argue with Sam's points. I think, you know, as Seahawks fans, we are all hopeful. I won't repeat everything you said, but I think align with all of that. I think. With the emergence of Quentin Dunbar's, how do I put this nicely? Incompetency. I will say, I will say Trey Flowers is my second half breakout player. And this is, you know, a lot of this is hopefulness. This is, you know, I'm usually the data and analytics guy, but none of that went into this pick. Uh, but hopefully we can <laughs> there's have no Shaq- data and analytics that can help this defense right no no it's uh we need to go for it on fourth and five on our own 30s types of uh type of data and analytics is what it's telling yep. me but anyway uh trey flowers needs to step up right i mean we it's always that next man up mentality for the seahawks and with quentin dunbar doing what he's doing and shaquille griffin hopefully coming back soon uh you have dj reed you have ugo amadi uh that can play minutes too and if quentin dunbar can get his shit together maybe he can play some minutes as well but you need trey flowers to step up and i'm predicting that he's going to step up he's going to be in a competent second corner and that's going to be good enough to be surprising in a breakout player and so that's why i went with trey flowers you know if you're right that out of the three of us and our picks that would be the biggest one so uh, my pick for second half breakout player of the year is someone we haven't talked a whole lot about this episode. Um, and we acquired him last year in the middle of the year from Detroit. And he proceeded to be one of the better players and better performers consistently on the defense when he was healthy. He was obviously hurt for a few games towards the end of last year, but Quandre Diggs is someone that I'm looking for. And kind of like Justin was saying, this is a little bit of a hopeful pick. He's really for the large part underperformed this year, in my opinion, and not tackling great. Doesn't seem to be exactly where he needs to be on many plays. And One of the things that I'm hopeful for, though, is that with Jamal Adams coming back and hopefully being healthy the rest of the year, that they're finally going to gather some chemistry in that safety duo. And I think Quandre has been thrust into a role in this first half of some responsibilities that he's not used to having because he's played with some inexperience at that safety position that's opposite of him. 
mostly being Ryan Neer, Neal, who's who's played well. Like he's played admirably as a fill-in for Jamal Adams. Well, as a relative term, though, because this defense has obviously been awful. But um, I think with Jamal Adams coming back, Quandre can not have as much responsibility and uh, really play a little freer. And I think he's someone that really kind of thrives in that free flowing type of role at that free safety position. Similar to, I mean, he's not Earl Thomas, but just like a similar like style of player to that as far as just he's, he's kind of a safety that's going to cover over the top and then once in a while come up and he's known for his speed at getting to the ball in the run game. So I'm really hoping that Quandre Diggs is able to turn it on this last half of this, this last half of the year, because he was one of the players that when he was playing well last year, as bad as the defense was, the defense was performing a little bit better when he was, when he was playing to his full potential. So that is my pick for the second half breakout player of the year. All right. Before we wrap the episode, I do want to touch on what you guys forecast the rest of this season to go uh, or how you forecast the rest of the season to go. And uh, we're each going to list off our overall ending record uh, for context here. The Seahawks are six and two right now, and it's the exact middle way part of the year. So eight games have been played. Eight games are left. Overall record, guys, and if you have a loss or multiple losses, which teams do those come against in this remaining portion of the year? Sam, let's start us off. Yeah, so just running down the list of the eight remaining games, next week we play at L.A. against the Rams. Then we play at home against the Cardinals. We go on the road to Philly. Then we have two home games against the Giants and the Jets. Then we travel to play the Washington football team. And then we play at home against the Rams and close out the season in San Fran against the 49ers. Santa Clara. Santa Clara, same thing. And then looking at that list, I have us ending the season 13 and three, which would indicate we lose one more game in the second half of the season. Looking at the schedule, there's only one team on the list that I think has a prolific pass offense that could really expose some of our weaknesses. And that would be the LA Rams with Jared Goff and his bevy of receivers. And I was tempted to pick us losing at the Rams this coming week, but knowing that this team rebounds really well, I have a hard time imagining us losing back-to-back games i think we'll respond and pull out a close win next week in la but i do think that we will lose to the rams in the second to last game of the season at home and i i see us going on a pretty strong win streak here dropping one more game and then entering the playoffs at 13 and 3 probably right in the mix for that number one number two seed So that's what I have. And I think looking at you guys, probably relatively similar thoughts. Justin's a little bit more pessimistic. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Sure, Sam. Um, 
you you laid out the games. I think overall, I don't think hopefully, goodness. I mean, we don't have to worry about playoffs, you know, especially with three NFC East teams remaining. But I have the regular season ending record being twelve and four. And who am I concerned about? You know, you have a Cardinals on a Thursday night game. I mean, we're the home team on the Thursday night game. So I think them coming up on a short week is going to be tough for them. But I'm worried about the Rams, as you mentioned, Sam. And I think we're going to lose both of our contests. So that means this upcoming weekend away at L.A. And then at home on week 16 and the second to last week of the season. And the reason why is we have really struggled against Sean McVay. Really, really struggled. He has exposed us pretty bad. And so going back to the previous six matchups we've had against him, the very first one in his first year of coaching, his first matchup, they had five turnovers and they lost 16 to 10. And we've never seen the Rams score 10 points ever again since then. Since then, they beat us 42 to 7, 33-31, 36-31. We won last year in a Thursday night game that was really memorable, mainly because of Russell Wilson's crazy play of rolling left, throwing, and Tyler Lockett in the corner of the end zone with the green jersey making the catch, but LA Rams missed a 42 ish yard field goal to, to lose the game. They should have won that game, but the Seahawks did 30 to 29. And then they beat us 28, 12 in the second game last season. And so it's really tough for our defense to stop their dink and dunks as it was. And our defense is even worse now. And so we're going to need to score at least 45 points to beat them. Uh, like that Chiefs-Rams game from a couple of years ago, if you guys remember that. It was supposed to be in Mexico City, and they got moved to uh, L.A. But I have a tough time seeing we're going to beat them. So 12-4, and four, which is a really good record. I would have taken that in a heartbeat before the season, but the Rams scared me. Yeah, and similar to you guys, I have the same team uh, as our one remaining loss. I have a 13-3 and three record like Sam. Uh, different from Sam, though, I have us losing this next week to the Rams. I just think we're kind of in a rut right now. And two, uh, two out of the last three weeks, we've seen the pitfalls of this team. And I think that's also, I think that's exposed again this week, kind of similar to what Justin was saying. Sean McVay has had Pete Carroll's number since he became the head coach of the Rams. And I see that continuing. I don't see us losing that second game against the Rams because rarely do we lose both games against a division opponent. So I see us splitting that series as well as the series against the Cardinals. And I do see us beating the Niners both, both, both times and ending the season 13 and three. One thing I want to touch on real quick guys with the, with it being a weird year, every league seems to be trying kind of something different as far as, you know, whether playoffs go or format of the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. And the NFL this year has expanded the playoffs to seven teams per conference. And the only team that gets a buy in each conference is that number one seed. So suddenly that number two seed really means nothing. And for the Seahawks to get back to the Super Bowl, I think they're going to need that number one seed. And with the record of 13 and three, I 
do anticipate that would probably be good enough, but you know, I mean, you got three teams right now at six and two, if you're looking at, at the standings with uh, the Saint, the, sorry, the uh, New Orleans saints and the green Bay Packers and in a three-way tie, I can't, I think it's like best conference record or something like, I think I know right now it's the saints that have the number one seed. So I'm not sure based on the rest of the schedule who has control of their own destiny. Um, but I know the saints that are, are starting to play pretty well in recent weeks. So I anticipate them being there at the end and green Bay, as much as I hate to say it, will probably be there at the end, but I think they're also a little bit of a flawed team as well. I think they've, you could probably say the same thing about the Seahawks, just as far as, you know, how we've won and stuff. But I think, I think they probably have a tougher remaining schedule than we do though. So I see us season 13 and three. And if not the number one seed right in the mix for the number one seed. So, yeah, that's great points, Connor. I just want to quick touch base quickly on the remaining schedule. Saints play the Chiefs as their remaining schedule, but their schedule is pretty soft. They played the Buccaneers twice. They've demolished them twice, as we've seen yep. in results. But other than that, they play the Falcons, the Bears. They go to the Broncos. It's it's kind of a cakewalk. So I would be concerned with the, the Saints being a yeah. big competition for the one I think seed. you can afford maybe one more loss. Mm-hmm. If they if they finish twelve and four like you predict, I don't think that's a one. It's seed. probably a two or three seed, right? Um, the Packers, meaning meanwhile, play go to the Colts. They play the Bears twice. They have the Eagles, which you know whatever, and they have the Titans as well. So you're thinking, you know, looking at that, the Packers are six and two right now. Like they probably have two more losses in there somewhere. Probably. So yeah, I would say the Saints are probably the biggest threat. And, you know, I mean, going into this week, we were thinking that it was the Seahawks and the Bucks that were the two strongest teams in the NFC. So, I mean, I, but thank God we're not the Bucks right now. And we're Oof. not talking about a, what, what was it, 38 to three or something like that ended up being the final score? Yeah, that's Lost brutal. to the Saints. So, I mean, that's... And as a Tom Brady fantasy owner, that was not, I mean, I was going to lose anyway, but it was Oof. especially not helpful. Not great, Bob. All right, guys. So I think we've touched kind of mostly on everything that we want to talk about with Sounders and Seahawks. One thing I do want to just shout out right now, just a little bit of Mariners talk. Kyle Lewis was um, voted the AL Rookie of the Year. And not only was he voted the AL Rookie of the Year today, he was also voted it unanimously, which has only been done 12 times. And I'm dumb and don't have this up right now. But I will let you guys talk about it for a second here while I pull this up as far as who else has achieved a unanimous AL uh, Rookie of the Year vote. Yeah, I mean, it's for sure an exciting sign for a potential future of the Mariners. Just being someone who grew up in the Mariners' heyday with Griffey, A-Rod, Randy, Ichiro, the 2001 team that we talked about earlier, and then just having the letdown of a lifetime with the Mariners organization, just not having any signs of success ever since 2001. I've just been beaten down so bad that it's hard for me to get overly excited. You know, I know how Lewis came in with 
you know, a lot of fanfare and he had a, I think he tore his ACL a year or two ago. Really so good story. Great. Yeah. He's yeah, torn it so, twice. Yeah. So it's great to see him kind of battle back and rehab and really, you know, unanimous MVP or sorry, rookie of the year is, I wish is, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's a Freudian slip and someday. it'll come to yeah. fruition someday. It's not outside the realm of possibilities. He's an extremely talented baseball player. Um, but at this point in time, like while it's an exciting sign for the future, I'm kind of just been beaten down and broken down by this consistent rebuild that we've been in. So until I see it translate into, you know, a more solid team and, successful seasons and sniffing the playoffs for the first time in two decades it's it's not going to get my heart rate up too much yeah i don't think you're alone there sam uh mariners fans have been very patient for for the last 20 years and uh it's only a matter of time before eventually things swing our way but it's it's been tough to watch and 20 years without a playoff appearance is is not something to write home about justin do you have anything to say about this before i I just want to bring up who else has won the al rookie of the year award unanimously no i mean i just pray that this can lead to a playoff appearance that the last time the Mariners have made the playoffs was the year I moved to Seattle and it's a long time ago. And, you know, I think Kyle Lewis has been great clearly with the unanimous vote, but hopefully that turns into action in my lifetime. Yeah, no doubt. I think we all hope that. So to give you guys some perspective, uh, Kyle Lewis, like I said, is the 12th player selected unanimously for the AL rookie of the year award. And he's the first Mariner to be uh, unanimously um, selected as the rookie of the year. The other players that have been unanimously selected as rookie of the year are Carlton Fisk, Mark McGuire, Sandy Alomar Jr., Tim Salmon, Derek Jeter, Nomar Garcia-Para, Evan Longoria, Mike Trout, Jose Abreu, Aaron Judge, and Jordan Alvarez. So he joined some pretty elite company in that statistic there. Um, I, I, I tend to echo what, what Sam and Justin were saying about the Mariners as far as just, it's been a, it's a long and arduous road and it's, it's really hard to be positive about this team when they've just over and over again, disappointed us year after year even when they make some splashy moves in the off season, uh, it just has never come to fruition for them for, for 20 years straight. Um, I, I do think there is some exciting talent and young talent in this farm system. And I do think that Jerry DePoto is doing this the right way. I think while I have said that the Mariners fans have been an exercise patience they're reaching a breaking point and obviously this thing get needs to get turned around the next year or two, or it's going to be, you know, another regime at this point. Like I think Jerry DePoto has until 
2022 to probably get this team back in into the playoffs. And you got guys like Jared Kellenick and Julio Rodriguez in the mix and Logan Gilbert. All these players have a lot of talent, but we won't need to see it, you know, happen on a big league level for us to actually get excited about it. So. All right, guys. Um, I think that's probably close to a wrap. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to touch on as far as a professional Seattle sports scene? No. Hashtag bring the Sonics back. Yeah, well, we will wish and hope and maybe someday. It'll happen at some point. Um, I want to remind you guys that Justin has an English Premier League podca- podcast. Thank you again for joining us on this episode, Justin. So if you guys, if you want to just give your own podcast a quick shout. Yeah, um, we are on all platforms over the top EPL. We cover all things English Premier League. That is soccer. Um, crazy rules over there. They have relegation. So the Mariners, if that existed for Major League <laughs> Baseball, would have been relegated a long time ago. And they'd so like, was, they'd be like in like what League Two or something. Probably, probably League by now. Two, yeah, Double A or something. And so, yeah, give us a follow, give us a subscription. You know, we'd love to have you over. It's a pretty fun podcast, just like these guys here. Um, and. Connor, Sam, thanks for having me on. It was a blast to talk about local Seattle sports and hope to do it again soon. Yeah, man, we'll for sure have you back on. And yeah, as as Justin was saying, uh, please check out his EPL podcast, subscribe and follow him, follow their podcast um, and subscribe and follow to uh, our podcast as well. Emerald City Fandom is what you type in. We're also on all streaming platforms, as Justin had said. Um, so Apple podcast, Google podcast, Spotify, whatever you guys listen to your podcast through, you can find us there. So, uh, not only do we want you guys to subscribe and follow to us, but also give us feedback and we record through anchor, which is a a podcasting platform that we upload through and you can leave us voice messages through that. So. If you guys have any Sounders or Seahawks questions for Sam, me, or even Justin, we're going to have Justin back on very soon here, probably to talk some more Sounders and even some Seahawks in the near future. So if you guys have questions for any of us, please leave us a voice message through that, uh, through that link in our description. Sam, did you have anything else to say? Not really, but I hope for the, for the sake of my own health that the Huskies actually play on Saturday. So. <laughs> Go dogs. <laughs> and on that note, please look out for a uh, preview episode of that, of, of the Huskies game against Oregon state this weekend. That'll be, come out later this week. And that'll be Sam and I recording on that one. And uh, yeah, again, Justin, thanks for, thanks for joining us and uh, happy to have you on and we'll have you on here in the near near future i'm sure but until then go go sounders go hawks go dogs go seattle sports yay